Welcome to Boss Bombas, also known as Word Bombas. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of Vox Vomitus, also known as Word Vomit. I am your host, Jennifer Ann Gordon, the author of Beautiful, Frightening, and Silent, as well as the Hotel series, which includes From Daylight to Madness and When the Sleeping Dead Still Talk. With me, as always, is my Vox Vomitus vixen, Allison Martine, author of the bourbon books, though today she is not drinking bourbon, she's drinking wine. That's named after her main character, Olivia. I know. I was a sucker for it. It's actually called Love, Olivia. I thought, they made this for me. I'm going to drink it today. And considering I'm to being a wine mom. I am not a wine mom. (laughs) I'm a wine mom. Go on. (laughs) With us today is the author of The Happiness Thief, Nicole Bocat. Welcome, Nicole. Hi. Tell our viewers a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your book, The Happiness Thief. So, um, this is my third novel, but it's been a really long time since I published a novel. So, um, I feel like it's a second debut, but, um, and rebirth as a novelist. But also it's the first time I tried to write something that has suspense, um, which was really new for me. So um, the novel is, well, I was told that it by freelance editors and an agent, my agent, that it was, although she wasn't sure, but domestic suspense, which as my friend said, is, does that mean like the maid is dead or like (laughs) just domestic? It's it's usually like a bad nanny. Right, your, the nanny your husband has been downloading child pornography on your computer. Right, but we don't mean a domestic. like a domestic cat. Yeah. Right, like a, but when you hear domestic suspense, you always think, "Oh no, you know the servants. Something happened with the servants." But no, that's not what it's about. I think it's really just because it's like women. I hate yeah. to be like overly, you know. No, but I think that is what it is. It's like, it's, you know, it's women's suspense. It's a mixture of women's fiction and crime. Suspense. As opposed to like an international espionage thriller novel, the domestic, that's it. Okay, it's going to be people in their regular lives, not off jet setting and stuff like that. So it becomes more relatable that way. And I think more scary because it could happen to me. Well, no terrorist (laughs) attack and there's like... You're not going to war, you know, you're not in the middle of like an international incident mostly. Um, so I think that's what it is. It's like, you know, um, there's no male, you know, traditional male drama, but yeah. there's always, you know, a lot of them have a lot of drama, like women, what women, woman in the window or the one that they just made the the woman in the window right they just made the movie of like Mm -hmm. a man wrote it and you know so there's it's not like just a woman's field it's just that that's what it was called so I wasn't sure because like they tend to cross over a lot like thrillers and uh, the other thing is psychological thriller and I was like oh okay so because the publishing industry is really specific about these things. Yeah. They are. I was just talking to Allison about this. I am writing a new project I'm not supposed to talk about, um, but it's, I was trying to figure out what genre it was. And I, so I was like looking up all the specifics because it's not a genre I've ever written in before. So I was like, maybe it's a thriller. And then I'm like, no, it's not a thriller because thrillers are very specific. They have to be told chronologically. There can't be any flashbacks, blah, blah, blah. And And Jen was telling me this stuff. And I was like, I was not aware that there's some of these rules that if you don't follow these rules, you get pushed out of the genre or you have to be a crossover because you no longer fit these exact beats that it says, okay, if it's not like this, you are not part of this category anymore. Well, actual readers now. I no readers don't know. And a lot of the books that I read, it will say on the back, like, this is a crossover between literary and and suspense. Yeah. As if like you're writing a plot, so therefore your sentences can't be literary, whatever that is. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, literary. Literary. Right. Literary. <laughs> but, but, you know, I, I didn't really realize, because 
when I was in grad school and college and everything, it was like you were either literary women's fiction, male fiction, which is basically everything. Which is all the rest of the books. All the rest of it. Commercial. Mystery. Right. Mystery. And then there was like cozy mystery, which I didn't really understand until I saw like TV. Like murder, but with a cup of cocoa. Right. Yeah, it's like, like, no, like she wrote. It's like, like little it has, island. I just think British. Yeah. Like everybody's wearing a nice sweater and the person who solves the crime, it happens to either be a baker or the town reverend. librarian. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like that show, <laughs> Grantchester. Did you ever see yes, that? I tried, like, but I was he's like, so cute. The priest or whatever, um, the reverend, he's not a priest. Um, and so he helps solve the crime. I'm like, I don't get it really, but he's really cute. So, okay. So, but then he left the show and I was like, okay, I'm not watching. Well, I'm, I'm down with the cute priest or cute reverend, but I'd prefer hot priest and he doesn't solve any crimes. He's on. No, no, that was he's just hot. Right, right. <laughs> a different thing. Yeah. But, um, so I think like, I think of cozy mysteries a lot as British, but anyway. Well, and yeah. I would say for yours, when you said psychological, that's the number one thing I would say here. Like this, yes, it's domestic, but it doesn't so much feel domestic as it feels like this is so much about mentalities and how we process thoughts and memories and all of that. That's the driving force. At least that's what I took it away from. But right, that, that's is that it. a genre and of its own, or does it have to be well, blended I, with something else? I think my agent was confused because she's been, she was around a long time and she was like, these categories have changed. <laughs> We make up new ones all the time. Or or at least she said to me, I don't know exactly what, you know, fiction has changed, like what they're looking for, you know, Mm -hmm. and women's fiction has changed somewhat. I shouldn't really quote her because, but, but anyway, so, um, I think for me, like I'm always more interested in the psychological and then the plot comes after. Yes. You know, the plot comes after the, because if the characters don't have, a background and a psychology of what's driving them, then it's and who cares? Then no one cares. <laughs> it can be very <laughs> thrilling, but if it's characters that are wooden and ridiculous, I just I, I don't turn the pages. And I'm not thrilled by any of that. I mean, if you don't have any connection to the characters and you don't have any clue what makes them tick, other than well, this needed to happen so the story can happen. That's that's not compelling storytelling anymore. Right. I think it just depends on who, what you're reading for. You know, if, if, if the story or the mystery or whatever is so fun, much fun. Occasionally I can read what I call like a beach book, yes. you know, where airplane like, airplane books. <laughs> right. They, oh, I have a friend in my writing group who's like, but with the sell at an airport. And we're yeah. always like, come on, we don't know, you know, no, but would it sell at an airport? Because otherwise this won't sell if it doesn't sell at an airport. Oh, and we did the same thing. Is it, well, well, the moms in their book clubs with their wine, well, they want to read it. Is that right. the kind of audience? Like we're talking about these, these weird things that have nothing to do with where it's going to be placed on the shelf, but which store it's in and will book clubs want it? See, I never used to think about this, and it wasn't until this book that I started thinking about it, but I had already decided on my character pretty much. Like, I I mean, you have to have, like, I wanted to deal with trauma and buried secrets because I yes. thought that's dramatic. Mm-hmm. But the plot changed, kept changing, and I, I was listening to a podcast you did with another writer where you talked about whether or not you outlined. And it was like, no, 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 we don't outline. We just like, we put, we just write. And I I couldn't do it. So what happened was I would get like two thirds through a draft and start to think this isn't dramatic. And so what I decided to do, because I taught novel writing for a while and I kept telling my students who were really confused about structure or not that they weren't good. They just would the same that everyone goes through. Like, what am I, what's the structure of a novel? Because it was like, you know, not undergraduate. It was just like a, um, an, uh, a class. I can't remember if this was at the new school. It was somewhere and they would like ask. A symposium them, kind of thing? Yeah, it was more like for, um, or a workshop, you know, like not undergraduate where you're teaching just like how to write an essay or Mm -hmm. teaching, you know, a short story. And it's very traditional. It was more like, how can I structure a novel? And I was like, good question. 
You know what I mean? So <laughs> did you have an answer or was well, it just like, this is a great I, question. Well, Class what, dismissed. You know, <laughs> I started telling them to write chapter outlines and bring them in. So they didn't waste so much time. Cause I had a lot of students who were like, I'm not kidding, like bankers. And they were taking these classes on Saturday morning. And I remember these two women, they were really funny. They were like high earning, really young, right out of like Ivy League school bankers. And they wanted to write like a mystery series or like girls about banking and women in banking. Mm. But they were like, we don't have a lot of time. So we need to do this quickly. Like, you know what I mean? So I was like, well, why don't you try to outline it? And they like really like that because, you know, they were very results oriented. So I started having, um, and at that time, this was like over 10 years ago, there were a lot of people writing like chiclet. They were sort of like sex in the city and the, everyone was writing like the woman woke up. She didn't know where she was. She was drunk. She threw up. And that was always the first chapter. And I was like, we don't need to see her throwing up and having sex before we meet her. So why don't we start somewhere else? Like dramatic, but not hungover. So, you know what I mean? That's I, I started thinking a lot more about structure, which then I decided I better do that for myself because I was taking so long to write. Like I wrote two novels in between this and the last book I published And I was like, I wasted so much time on revision that I decided I'm going to really try to outline a book, which was really hard and torturous. It does seem really hard, which is why I haven't done it. But like, I'm right. So I'm writing a project now and I keep thinking, you know, it might be easier if I knew what was going to happen. It's so much better (laughs) for me, even though it changes because the characters start doing new things. But what I really like about it is that like I wrote a whole long outline and I have this like ghost editor, not ghost, but like freelance editor who I work with. I've worked with a bunch of people, but I use her. She was really, really, really good at this. So she looks at the out and then she has someone who with her book and she was like, okay, this is really good, but not this. And this isn't dramatic enough. And, and, you know, I'm on page like Five, and she's saying this isn't going to work on page 100 and in a way it's really good because like she's like this isn't dramatic enough and I'm always like well but you know she fell out of a plane no <laughs> she landed in, uh, she like, landed you know, in a boat and she's not dead like so <laughs> you have to be more dramatic so it took me a really long time to realize that it's okay to do something more dramatic than you think is going to work. And then if it doesn't work, you can cut. But rather than like scene after scene of like talking or not a lot happening sort of stuff, you have Nicole, to I feel like you're talking to me about my project that I'm writing right now. Well, you know, I work <laughs> as I've been ghost editing for the last like 10 years. And it's really helped me because I look at writers, some of whom are really good and then their books might fall apart in the middle. And I feel really bad because I'm like, this book is so well written and she's so funny. And it's just not going to have uh, enough drama. It's just like, and sh- then the person will say, I based it on my life or I based on what I knew and I based it on this or that. Because everyone learns like, right, what you know, but no. We can't, like, see, Uh Allison and I have this conversation because we're like, we can't always just be writing exactly what we know because, like, my life is very specific. I was a ballroom dancer professionally forever, and now I'm a novelist. But that's a very small window (laughs) of, like, things I could write about. Cozy Mysteries. Cozy Mysteries, actually. Ballroom dancing. That's actually more dramatic than most people. Like, most (laughs) of the writers I know are like, well, I went to school. I taught. I worked in publishing. I'm writing. I'm like, okay, well, that's really dramatic. I know, <laughs> you know what I mean. So read I, that over the bankers, but that's just me, right? But no, no. <laughs> but I mean, mysteries. like, at least, like, if you have like a banking mystery, you can do like one of those shows. Like, I don't watch like Secession or one I'm of just those. Say it could be Successionist or billionaires or like people are really into like money capitalism and corporations. So like if someone steals a ton of money, 
as long as it's like someone stealing from yeah, someone once else. Once you get to a heist film, I'm in. That's totally Ocean's Eleven. Sign me up. But just but, the regular banking part, I'm denying you for this loan. <gasps> no, not that. <laughs> not that, not that the kind that like brings down the country. You oh, know what oh, I mean? Like international banking with a huge bank that brings down the country. And then the other thing, like. Um, people like to see like big, powerful people who then fail. And so like, if you're writing something about someone who's slightly sociopathic and, you know, maybe like some huge big wig who then tumbles and there's a lot of drama in the family, then you have a TV show. Shit's Creek. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I love what you were saying about doing the editing for others, because sometimes we're so close to our own work and we're so on top of it and we know our own thought processes. It's so much better to see somebody else's work and be able to spot that and be able to do that for each other and go, okay, I love what you're doing here, except, and then fill that in because they're this close to it too. Yeah. So I know I need that. And I'm always desperate for my alpha readers and beta readers to give me feedback and tell me what's going on. Um, but I, w- I was laughing earlier when you were talking about, oh, there's just too much talking because I just got feedback from what I'm working on now very early on. And one of my one of my readers said, oh, a lot's happening right away, which is good. And I like that they're not dilly dallying around. And she actually used the word dilly dally, but she's she's more used to that slower introduction. And I said, yes, but I want this book to sell. So that's why I'm doing it that way, because I know we can't have all these conversations without drama happening and people moving and not just let's sit and chat for a while, which is fine for a podcast, but it's not for a book. Well, you know, one of the things I got with like one of the books I wrote and I've had five agents don't even ask. So the one of my agents had said to me, this is a really good, quiet novel that you'd want to read, like in the the rain. And I'm like, Oh, you know Definitely what I mean? Like, is the death bell right there. You're like, mm, mm, mm. Quiet is really bad. So like all my friends know if they get a rejection that says we really like it, it was too quiet for us. What, what that means it, or like too literary, which is too quiet. What they mean is there's not enough drama. And it took me a really long time to realize that what I thought is melodramatic is just drama. Right. You know, it's like our worst test. If it's not over the top, Ben, why didn't you tell me? It's not dramatic enough. Right. And so, you know, like you can watch those like great foreign movies, like French movies where it goes on forever and like no one really says Nothing anything. happens. They're just like washing their socks. Patterson. And Where's my book? Right. <laughs> but, but like, you know, I, I, don't know. I mean, I think if you're a great literary author who already has like a big contract, maybe. Oh, that already has is such the big qualifier there, isn't That's it? The because thing. it's like once you're already established, you can do whatever you'd like, more or less. Well, I mean, I, mean, I, I really, know, but, mm, mm-hmm. right? I really, really admire a lot of writers who don't have a lot of drama in their work, and I love them. But you know. They had to get there somehow. Everybody and, has their breakout book, like the book that makes puts them on the map. And then they can do their, their quiet novels after that. You know, Donna Tartt wrote The Goldfinch, and a lot of people hate it. I think it's a beautiful masterpiece, but she still had to write The Secret History first, which was all just like sordid, toxic, dark academia. Right, which I didn't read. I did read The Goldfinch. But, I mean, my only problem with that was it was so long. but. You know, and I have, that could have been two books. Right. (laughs) No, I I do. I I read it and I thought it was, you know, she's a great writer, but you know, um, I I had so many other projects to read. I was like, this is really long. Um, But like, for example, like, I don't know if you've read like Rachel Cusk, who I think is fantastic. And if you read her trilogy, she's British and she did this trilogy that was like this, she's published a ton of stuff. And really, there you don't know anything about the narrator, and it's all people 
talking about her sort of, mm-hmm. and it's very, it's kind of experimental stylistically. I mean, I won't go into all that, but I'm saying like, if someone else had written that and maybe if it was their debut and they were like, wow, this is so literary, but she can basically do what she wants. So she came out with then after that, her essays and she's, then she just came out with a new novel and the review said, oh, it's much more plot. One review is like, it's much more plotted than her trilogy. So I just read it. It's short. It's under like 200 pages, I think. And I was like laughing that they thought this was so plotted. And it's only because her last three books. It's the contrast. Had no plot. Like, this was not like <laughs> there was a plot. Therefore it was more plotted. <laughs> Wait, but no one in a million years. And this is in no way. Like, I think she's brilliant. She's like one of, my favorite writer. She's, you know, like a, the most masterful writer, but the thought that like, this was like almost too plotted or too dramatic. I just thought that was hysterical. You well, know what I mean? What you were saying about quiet novels. So I have a lot of friends who are still in the query trenches and some of them are very frustrated because they love the quiet novels and they write the quiet novels and they're very frustrated when they get told too quiet because then they're being forced to write a novel that they don't even want to read because they're trying to fit into some cookie cutter idea of everybody wants excitement, excitement, excitement. So there is a place for a quiet novel, but it almost sounds like you can't be the quiet novelist unless you first break through by writing something that maybe is outside your comfort zone. And then you have permission to go back to where you want to be. I think so. But I mean, I, I get it. I mean, a lot of us, those of us who are in the place of okay, your debut isn't out yet. You have to get your foot in the door. And then once you're out, you can kind of figure out, all right, I'm going to shape my career more over this way or more over that way. But until you're through that door, it's just through that door. You publish with a small press, but then you win a lot of awards. Yeah. So you have to make sure you win a lot of awards. And then all of a sudden- How many awards (laughs) is a lot? Well, like, I don't mean even a lot. I mean, you have to win like the Man Booker Award. You have to win like, you know, Perhaps the National sure. Book Award. You can't yeah. get the little awards. You have to get like, you have to be in the public eye. You have to get the New York Times to, that's m- my feeling. So like, you know, you'll find someone and you're like, what was the book that won everything a few years ago and it had been published by that tiny press, my friend? Luster? No, this was even before that. It was, okay. oh man, I- I'll remember it when we're done. But it, it was like Bellevue Press which is a a small press Mm -hmm. about mostly health issues, mental health, because it's Bellevue Health. And he wrote this book and it won like the national, I don't know, tons of awards. And then every, then of course he got a big contract. So, you know, if you're, if someone finds your book because it's so brilliant, then great. But otherwise it's, you know, you got to write for it took me way too long to realize that if you're not paying attention to the marketplace, forget it. You know what I mean? I think a lot of young, I don't want to say younger writers, but newer writers, a lot of writers aren't actively reading either in general or even in their genre. So they don't even understand what's expected of them on a commercial level. No. And And that's definitely something, a conversation I had with my agent not that long ago was parting advice for that particular conversation, read widely in your genre, or specifically, I was told, in the genre you want to be published in. Because I know back to the genre discussion, I've been called speculative fiction, sci-fi meets women's fiction. It's it's all very confusing as to literary science fiction. All of those terms ultimately don't really mean anything until a publisher says, this is what the book is, and this is how we're going to spin it all of those terms kind of go all over the place. So when I I asked them, okay, well, which of these genres should I be looking at? Because you just named like six of them. They're like all of them. I only have so many hours in the day. But no, I mean, it's also gotten really, it's changed so much because everybody has like a platform and everybody has like a media thing. Everyone has a brand. Everyone has, which... I really don't understand. Like, failing at it. You know, I mean, like, <laughs> just my wine glass. Don't mind me. No, I, the whole I have a brand, brand thing. <laughs> you know, but like young, like the people I know in their twenties who are really un, who work more in media, not necessarily writing novels. They get that. Yeah, it's all about the content. 
the content minds. And that's one of those things where those of us who are a little older need to make sure we've got gas, uh, have our fingers on the pulse of the younger people, especially if the younger people are the ones who are part of our intended audience. And I know for me, one of my most valuable betas, she is younger than me by like close to 20 years. And she's the one who tells me what's working, what's not. And she also guides me on how to figure out TikTok, which no, I haven't figured it out yet, but she at least gave me some ideas about generally how it works. Cause I'm not going to figure out any of that on my own. I'm still failing at Instagram going, I don't, I don't get this. What, what are, why are people watching reels? No, I know. I'm addicted to reels. Once you start watching them, you, be, you become addicted. No, I, I see half of one. I'm going swipe. It, it's got to go. And unless it's someone talking and then I'll listen to what they're saying, but generally I'm, Oh, I only watch the ones with animals. Yeah, me too. Well, that's a different I, platform. And the, the <laughs> well, my, my thing with Instagram is like, I was following only dogs. So I decided like, I should probably start following like writers and people. But during the pandemic, I really started following a lot of dogs. I, I mean, think you and Jen are in the same boat there. Cause I think this, like, dog has a me over, platform than Jen does right now. I can't yeah. even tell you like over the pandemic, I became obsessed with dogs and same. I started sending my kids like what my one kid who lives in DC pictures of dogs all the time. And he was like, well, at least you're not sending me pictures of babies. You're not telling me to go have a baby. You know what I mean? You're like, but, you should buy this kind of dog and then get that dog. An Instagram dog. account. <laughs> but I mean, like I became very obsessed with like these huge, huge breeds of dogs. And I now follow several dogs and I'll say to I my follow, husband, I follow a lot of dogs. Yeah. And I'm like, I'll mention a dog that I follow to my husband. He's like, who? And I'm like the Newfoundland, you know, like, the other day, Nicole, I, I follow mostly dogs, but I follow one family of cats. And one of the cats of the family of cats passed away. Oh, no. And I was shattered, crying in the bed. And my husband's like, what has happened? And I said, Stash is dead. And he said, what does that mean? And I said, one of the Hobbicats from Instagram. That's a good opening for Honestly, now. you said Stash is dead. It sounded like some drummer from some 90s hair band. Yeah. OD'd on something or no this is a very sweet oriental short hair cat with a mustache but um (laughs) this is the kind of thing where that to me would make a great opening to a comic novel I am not lying to you it is part of the book I'm writing now okay it was like such a I was like you were told not to talk about it you're giving all your secrets here and now you know I'm like there's something about (laughs) it I I changed his name in the book I started following like famous writers, pets, as opposed, like you're supposed to follow the person, the influencer, but I just want to follow the pet. No, and that's fair though. That's fair though. Cause there's, I won't, I won't out who this author is, but I started following their blog because I enjoy their writing and nine times out of 10, it's either pictures of their dog or they've let their child blog. And I'm just like, I would not have subscribed to your child's blog, but there's no way to only get entries by the author and not their teenage child or pictures of their pet. And I don't, I don't mind the pictures of their pet, but I'm getting emails two, three times a day. And I'm just going, I'm waiting to hear back from editors. I don't want to hear about your dog. <laughs> no, I know. It's <laughs> you go to problem. But I just felt like because of the coronavirus, I mean, this has nothing to do with writing, but it was really a good way to relax, like to yes. just become very obsessed with animals. With who- Pixel the Coconut Pie. That's right. One of my, that's one of my favorite Instagram dogs. You say Pixel the coconut pie? Yes. It's about a pie. No, it's about a little dog named Pixel. But he's he looks just like Tubby, and but he's Tubby is my dog. A little white people dog. People who are watching, who is also a little white dog. He's basically Tubby, except better trained and cuter pictures. I mean, so <laughs> you know, I, I also find like that you know, it's a common thing. Like it's a common denominator, people's pets. So even if they're like famous, you can really like Diane Keaton has a really great dog. So like you can like her dog without feeling like, Oh my God, I'm just really trying to 
you know, stock up dogs. You know what I mean? And I'll mention the dog again to like someone I know, and they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, you realize I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and you're like, you it's know? the new Finland. <laughs> right, right. But anyway, so you know, back to the outlining thing. So yeah, so for this yeah, book outlining. I went I went this conversation. I know. <laughs> I redid this outline so many times and showed it. You know, it's funny that you say about younger readers, because my writing group does not skew young. I mean, it doesn't skew really old, but it's not young. And I do wonder, you know, also my editor is not young. You know, we're not the most youthful people. We're not young. And so I, I was thinking maybe I should show the next book I'm writing to a young person to read instead of a sensitivity reader. I need a a youth young, reader. A youth like, reader. Like, is this going to hold your attention? I don't even know. Also, well, I guess the question is also, well, who's your audience? Because I know for me, so depending on which books I'm writing, whether I'm doing my literary sci-fi stuff or my romances, my romances, they skew, I would say, mid-20s and then up. And I think there's a lot there that older readers can relate to. But there are things that have happened to my characters that a 19 or 20-year-old Maybe like I'm not connecting here because they haven't lived enough of their life to have gone through some of these experiences. So I guess the question is, all right, you want someone younger to read it, but are these the, going to be the readers who are going to read it when they buy it? Does that make sense? Yeah, because I'm working on a, a book now and the main character is 24, which I've never okay. done before. That's and young. I showed oh, that's young. Book. Yeah, I, I know. I'm like, Very whoa, young. 24. Duh, yeah, and I showed. Years ago. But, yeah. But the thing is, is that I wanted someone who was more connected to her, prime, you know, her family, like, mm-hmm. you know. Family um, of origin, yeah. Our family of origin. And I wanted her to be starting out. Mm-hmm. And there's like a climate change theme. And so I thought, well, and there's this theme of like not being able to afford living in New York City, starting out and working uh, in a job that's not paying it, you know, and the gig economy, it's before the yeah. pandemic, you know, right before the pandemic. And so I, c- I can ask my son, like, who's in his 20s, like, what is this or that? But but you need a 20 something female reader to be like, can I connect to this? Does this feel like an authentic voice? That could be my voice. Right. And so, but what you I, don't want is them reading some older woman wrote this and this is not how I talk. This is, and I would say the same thing for me. That's why I have my, my young people going, does this still feel fresh and new? Where am I? To my young trail? people in my life. I need you, to find some. You can borrow you know my what's really people. weird about that though is like, I showed this to a friend of mine who's, I don't know, she's like 40. She has little kids. And she was like, is this YA? And I said, no. She's like, Did it YA to her? Because of the age of the, because protagonist 24 is not YA anymore. I was like, I'll make her older if it will make you happy. You know, <laughs> but the thing, the thing is, was like, I never used to think about this when I read. Like, you know, like if you read books with several points of view, you know, yeah. there'll be like kids in it, and then there'll be older people's Game of Thrones, Bran as a child. Right. I mean, and but the thing is, like, I I had written this other book that was partly from the point of view of like a 14-year-old, and the other part was from a 40-something-year-old. And when I sent that book out, the problems I got with editors was we really, really love this point of view but we don't want the other point of view because how can we sell it? We don't know if it's young Mm -hmm. adult because she's 14 or, you know, mainstream women's fiction. I was like, really? And it's, and it's crazy because I think if you're in a a separate genre already, like game of Thrones can get away with it because it's already fantasy. So they're not trying to classify age so much. And they just kind of go with preponderance of, well, there's everybody, therefore it's adult. But if all the characters, you know, look at something like Hunger Games, most of the people, yes, it's Katniss, but it's, you've got all these other characters that they're all teen-ish that, okay, now we're back to YA again. I mean, I pitched something to my agent, which was a similar thing. Like it's a two point of view book, 
one of them is 14. The other one is a, a 35 year old man, 14 year old girl, 35 year old man. And she said, but is it YA? And I said, no, it's not YA. It's definitely not YA. And she was like, I love the idea, but like, not right now. Like we got to get you a book that like goes out there and explodes. And then you can write this book that nobody knows if it's YA. I'm like, but it's not YA. (laughs) I don't understand why a young person's voice has to be YA. Like to me, YA is force. uh, uh, Like everyone who's older has been young. So why can't we read like, you know, I, I, when I used to teach, I was like, well, is every book that was ever written from a young person's point of view, YA now, like, right. like is Pride and Prejudice YA because Elizabeth Bennett's 21? Like, do you, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, I mean, if you read, like, if you read um, Kristen Hanna's The Great Alone, which is this fabulous, award-winning, best-selling novel it's an adult novel but just because the main character you watch her from the time she's 14 to you know exactly exactly I never reading that book I never thought is this meant for kids I never thought that well we've had those conversations about whether YA is about an age range or it's about themes I don't really know where they kind of come down and say this is where it says I think it's if the I think it's about voice I so like if, if the voice is really young and like hip and like, uh, you know, I'm 14 and the, this is my vocabulary and I, you know, text like this, as opposed to I'm like in my 20s and I'm writing like a person, you know, not a, a teenager. And it's and the people you're writing the book for are not teenagers, then who cares? You know, I don't care if. If someone, you know, is there a category geriatric fiction so that like, yes, there is, because don't we get like the point of, oh, it's now it's historical romance. If the person is set in the sixties and the person's still alive and they're going, no, this is my life. This is not historical romance. How dare you? I think that's a friend of yours. It's Deborah K. Shepard. We had her on the show and she was not happy about that. She was so great. And her book. Originally, I, they were like, oh, it's historical fiction. She's like, like it's about yeah. the 60s. Like, <laughs> no, no, that's definitely, yeah. But see, like, that's what I don't get. Also, like, if that's not the same as, like, if the main character is, like, 70 and she's, like, which, of course, no one wants. But when in, did we last read a character over the age of 50? Like, a main character. Famous people. Like, famous people can write that. You know what I mean? If you're already famous, you can write from the point of view of an older person. You can write from the point of view of almost anybody if you're already famous. Right. So, you know, I I don't know if it will sell as much, but, you know, and also, again, like a cozy mystery. But that's usually the voice isn't the main character necessarily. But then if, like, it's not about geriatric you know, experiences, if it's about, you know, solving a mystery, right. that's okay. But right. I was just Jessica say, Fletcher could borderline geriatric, but it was about murder. She wrote not about, you know, Mrs. Potts. But I do agree. Like, you know, there's like a real, nobody wants to read about like older people's problems unless the older person has established themselves so much that then it's like literary so they can write anything. That's just my, you know, my take is like, you know, you can write about reflecting on your life and, you know, having problems with your whatever. But most of the reading, like a friend of mine even said, nobody writes for women at over 50 and there's so many of them. And they so, like to read. And they like to read. And why are there no books with like active, involved, happy, or not happy, but you know, prob? And there are. It's just the thing is, is you already has have to have been a big name. There are books being published, and I read them, and I know, and they 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 also have like more than one point of view, and nobody cares if it's YA or not YA, and they don't care if part is told from the child's point of view, and the agent's not worried because they've already like have an editor who's 
taken them for 20 years. So they just write what they want and they just publish it. Oh, the freedom. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think it's really hard if, you know, you're not a big name and you're not a big moneymaker, but once you're a big name and a big moneymaker, you can write anything you want. Yeah. The world opens up to you, I think a little bit in a way that uh, for like, so Allison and I are both agented. We still, we're like, but we're also indie published. So we're with small publishers, we're hybrids. And we, neither of us have had that like breakout book yet. We haven't had that like, oh my gosh, this is the book that like everybody's going to know you for. So we're like still figuring out like our projects that we're working on right now, which, and, and, and I know you understand this. It's like, where do we blend the commercial aspect in with our art and right. which part weighs out more? It's really process. hard. <laughs> And also now I have a friend who had a really big book. I won't name her. Not like huge, but <laughs> stars oh. reviews, press, beautiful book, and then had a lot of trouble with the next one. And part of it is the industry changed and got more genre specific. And then also... Uh, all of a sudden it's, it's, I mean, not all of a sudden, but it's also very hard now to publish if you're writing about characters who are not your race, not your sex, not, you know, there's a lot of, the, you have to show the sensitivity, you have to show whatever. And so if you're writing about from a male point, like, I think men can write what they want. I, I know that's going to sound terrible, but I think, you know, men are just been- saying things that are. Men have been publishing from women's point of view since like, you know, the beginning of time. And because you know, there's something called women's fiction. Right. And there's no male fiction. And because all of the books are male fiction. Right. And, but also they've been writing from, you know, women's point of view forever. And Faulkner, for example, wrote from black women's point of view. Okay. Done fine. <laughs> you know, it's a different, different time. times. Different, different times, times. I but like you said, it. the industry would not allow that right now. And I know people who are still, again, querying who had to either scrap or really change books because the main character was not enough like them that they were getting told, this isn't going to fly from you. And and that's something that's kind of hard to deal with too, to go, okay, you want to make sure your book is what you'd like to say, but you also have to make sure that you're going to be able to sell the book in a way that people aren't going to accuse you of being insensitive or taking someone else's story and there's so much of a need for those other stories and for those people to get picked up and be able to tell the own voices story which is why we have the hashtags of own voices and all that and so that's that's awesome but when you're trying to figure out okay how does that impact me and what I want to write we have to make sure that we are being you know sensitive to that and not just sensitivity readers but recognizing some things are going to be off the table right now and possibly forever you know for me that like I don't have, I haven't really ever written from a male point of view and I wouldn't try to write from a point of view of a character I didn't know because I don't feel like I could even pull it off. Same. No. Okay. But then well, there are I've other- written from male point of view, but, but um, I, I have no, I, don't mean male. I mean something that if I didn't feel I could pull it off, yeah. I wouldn't want to write it. So I know that there's certain themes that I was talking to a friend recently. I'm like, I'm thinking about this. And she's like, I think you could do that. And I said, I think I could, I'm not sure I could, I'm not sure I'm the right voice to tell this. So I'm going to put on the back burner for now and revisit it because this is not my personal experience. And I'm not sure I'm the right voice to say it. Right. And I think that's valid. The thing is though, is like, if you have many points of view, like I, I have friends who write from many points of view and one of them is not, you know, a white woman, her age, I feel like they should get a pass, <laughs> you know, yes. if they, if they know a person who is fits the category and they know enough about it and, you know, but, but I, it, it's a, that, that's a hold up, but, you know, publishing has changed so much. It's changed so much. It's, it's like mind blowing to me how different it is than it used to be. It's so much about the writer. It's not just about the book. Yeah, no. there has to be that connection there between, hey, is this the story we want from this author? And if it's not, stories that we would have taken 20 years ago. We didn't even, say, no, you could just be happen. initials. You could just be initials. You know, you well, could, like, that's what I do for, for sci-fi. I don't use my first name. I use right. my initials. But that's mostly because I know there are still men out there who are like, 
women don't write science fiction. And therefore, if they see A.M. Hubbard, hopefully they won't understand that I'm not related to L. Ron Hubbard and they'll pick it up anyway. And maybe I get some of that Dianetics money. But also there, once they realize that I mostly write main characters that are female, they're still going to go, gonna oh, figure it out. Shit. Put it back anyway. As a horror writer, people are yes. always like, oh, you write you write lady horror. You write female horror. And I'm like, I I'd don't say, know what that means. I hate that term, lady horror. Well, lady someone, horror. Someone just wrote a very nice review of my book, but he said my character was timid. And I was really upset by I that word. I said that. I Did they read the book? Yes. He read the book, but it was a man. And so <laughs> I felt... My character is traumatized. She's not timid. There's a big difference. Timid to me. They both start with T. It is a T word. It's not. It's a T it's word. A, and it was a really, it was a good review. But I said to my husband, you know, you read my book. You're a man, but maybe you're not objective. But do you think my character is timid? And he was like, no. But you know, what's he going to say? Right. You know, so whatever you want him to. I would say this. I don't think your main character, I don't think Natalie's timid at all. I do think she is dealing with a lifetime of fear, regret, grief, and trauma, and memory loss. So maybe she doesn't jump full force into situations, but that's not out of being timid. It's out of protecting herself. It's out of PTSD. Right. But so like... She's not feisty, which, you know, is the uh, other woman thing. But the character I'm working on now, who, um, first of all, though, she's she's a little. But I feel like if your characters have trauma, they're going to have, be complicated. They're not going to just be like Annie Oakley. You know, that's, that's really Man, get, your gun. <laughs> get your gun. But when I hear trauma? like feisty, I, I, I don't know. I associate that with like. You okay. Know, and here's, here's the issue I have with it because first off, I'm really tired of everybody saying, oh, I love this badass heroine. I don't need to have, have every female be a badass heroine all the time. And second, that same male writer or, or reader, if he would have read the feisty version, he would have called her a bitch. So you can't win. If she's not feisty, she's timid. Oh, and then if she is feisty, well, then she's a bitch. So, it, or she's that kind of like, like very vanilla Victorian era feisty, like Joe Marsh from Little Women, where it's like, oh, she's feisty because she used her brain, right? <laughs> and or like Anne Green Gables, she's feisty because she read books. Right, right. I read this one, <laughs> but I, I think that. Um, no, I did have someone else who read the book who said to me, I re- you know, an agent early on who said, I'm sorry, I really don't like her. She's so whiny. And she reminds me of the woman from Girl on the Train. I'm like, bless you. You know, please. That's a, that's a great character. Please. But Girl not similar. Let me be as successful. She's, you know what I mean? Like, like she's so whiny. She's like the, like the Sprinkle thing. that on there. You know, it's she, like this. She reminds me of the main character of one of the most successful books of the last ten ever, years, and she just like bought a five million. I don't know house, whatever. And it's like, thank you, you know. But I get what you're saying. Like, you know, there was a whole slew of those, like Gone Girl. Um, yeah. She was way more confrontational than Girl on the Train, but you know, there was a whole slew of these women who were somewhat victimized, or they victimized other people, and blah blah blah. And, you know, they were drinking, whatever. And I was like, well, okay, but Natalie's not like a drunk, blackout, drunk, you know, can't, which is fine anyway. I don't have a problem with that. I read but that. that wasn't who you wrote. No, but Na- I just didn't. Natalie was so relatable because she was, you know, past trauma. We've all had it. She's a, I take a Xanax at night to sleep. I don't over drink. I'm like, you're, that's a universal character. That's me. A lot of people do not like, you know, and I'll just like the, the thing about it is um, there were some women who read her like, she's too anxious. Um, somebody else said, why is well, I feel called out? Why is she <laughs> ru- eating more? She doesn't eat enough. And she's a food writer, which was part of food um, not writer, food photographer. photographer. And that was part of the whole thing. You know, she doesn't. If you're photographing lot. food all the time, you're not going to be like eating it because it's no, a freaking and job. And also, exactly. she was 
she was dealing with other things. She was, and then I was like, I'm sorry she had a granola bar for breakfast. Like, it was the weirdest thing. I got the weirdest, like, I have a lot of friends like this, and I know we're going to run out of time, but she had. Oh, I know, we've got no, but it was like so funny because it was like, why isn't she having like a bigger breakfast? And I'm like, really? That's a very strange feedback. <laughs> it is because she was bringing her daughter to school. I am getting a huge thunderstorm that's rolling in. Me too. I, I'm afraid I'm about to lose electricity, so I think we might have to call this a day. But I mean, I hope this was is much fun for you. I know we didn't talk as much about the book, but to me, like, oh my god, the happiness leaf. No, everybody, please read it. I I think it's really helpful though to talk about revision and drafting because, like, I talk with my with my clients about this all the time, and they just like they that's all they want to talk about is how do you market it, how do you revise it. How do you write drafts? And I'm really fascinated by that now in a way I wasn't when I was younger. Like, well, what's the whole redrafting <laughs> process? Forget the first one. Like, like how That's do you the re- vomit drafts. This is why our show's called Vox Vomitus because it's well, fake just, Latin for word vomit. I just love the whole idea of like, how do you, cause you guys are so realistic. Like you're not just writing for yourself. You're trying to write for an audience and so many writers don't realize that me among them, like that when you write, you have to think about the audience. Yeah, so yeah. anyway, thank Allison, you. Were you that. reacting to my thunder? Yeah, I can, I can hear it on this end. I'm sure you guys can hear it. Here too. It's the whole East coast. You guys, it never rains and here it never stops. I know. Like welcome to it's now it's swamp season where it's just going to be like dreadfully hot and very, very dangerous muddy muddy Muddy. up there yeah i know it's muddy in new england but anyway thank you for having me and nicole you are great i am so inspired now to find young readers gosh well it's not us but i would definitely read uh, it really helped me but i love i know young people i'm not one but i know knows allison can hook us up with some youngs okay well thank you i appreciate it so much this was great thank you your book was great we really loved it i'm so so glad we didn't talk about the fact that we loved it enough but we did we love (laughs) it um you guys are the best Thank you to everybody who tuned in live or who is watching this on the replay before my electricity goes out. Thank you to everybody at the Global Authors on the Air Radio Network. Thank you, Pam Stack, our executive producer, Roman Sorotin, our producer. This has been a copywritten podcast from the Global Authors on the Air Radio Network. Stay tuned next week when we have May Cobb, author of The Hunting Lives.